pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 119. Today I'm going to chat with Othias from CN Arsenal, talk about an uprise that recently happened among the firearms industry, and discuss luminous night sights. I am your host, Ava Flanell, and Othias, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's uh, a decent enough afternoon over here on the East Coast. Good. You know, I was just thinking, you don't meet too many people named Othias. No, um, actually, that is... That is my trade name to make sure that oh. I had a certain level of protection for okay. starting a series. Because uh, I'm one of the few people that walked into this eyes wide open. Like, I already knew what we were going for. And so, CN Arsenal has a lot of weird preparation to it. And so, it was a nice, pronounceable, and yet searchable name. And it, it worked out really well for the show. And it keeps people from meddling in my tax documents. Yeah, well, <laughs> there you go. Congrats. You're smarter than I am. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, Ava Flannel this, Ava Flannel that. I just uh, teamed up with Ballistic Inc. to come out with like shirts and hats and it has like the AF logo on it. And uh yeah, so my name at this point, I'm like, how could I back out? That's uh, good commitment though. It's, it's commitment. Yep. Um, and I, I might as well stay in this industry because I probably won't be able to get a job anywhere else. So there's that. But you know who actually might hire me if, if this all falls through is maybe Manicore Arms. And they're actually doing some pretty cool stuff. They just came out with, it's, so Manicore Arms designed, it's a Venom suppressor and it's made for the Scorpion Evo and Ratworks is manufacturing and selling it. And it's super cool. Uh, you can go on their Instagram, Facebook page and you'll see, you know, there's a picture of it, but it literally just came out within the last couple of days. And, uh, yeah, so Sven now has officially designed a gun, a suppressor and a magazine. I, I just, I'm just repeating basically what I heard him say on Facebook, but yeah, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. So I don't think that the coupon code would work over at rat at Ratworks, but I definitely recommend heading on over to manicorearms.com, checking out all of the products they have, use the code gunfunny15 and you will get 15% off. And, uh, all right, let's get into it. Oh, I was going to say, uh, <laughs> Uh, I can give you another reason to recommend Manticore Arms already, which is that Sven had ruined my bathroom inadvertently for like a week with uh, house guests and stuff because he gave May one of those grow your own dinosaurs that emerges from an egg. <laughs> and she started growing it in the bathroom in like the trash can. And it just horrified everybody into thinking there was some sort of horrible animal fetus in our bathroom. Oh, that's really nice. And <laughs> and I'm assuming May is your daughter? Uh, no, May's my co-host. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, see what I, okay. So going into this, obviously now it's clear. I obviously don't watch CN Arsenal, but, um, <laughs> but I know that you have a lot of fans out there because before I, well, I told a few people I was going to have you on the show and everyone was like geeking out about it. So, but very cool. So yes, yeah, Ben, way to go. Those things are actually really cool. I used to have those when I was younger, but yeah, it emerged from a giant egg. Dang. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And then it was slimy. Hmm. Pretty cool. All right. We're going to get into it. Learn the things you never knew on deconstructing the industry. All right. So now I have to ask, is May a guy or a girl? May's a girl. 
Oh, okay. Because I'm like Mazar. Mazar a designated shooter, so I don't actually demonstrate the weapons. Mm. I just talk about the history. Okay. But I am six one and fat, and May is like right at that perfect like five seven five eight height, which was the standard height for men at the time of the war. Mm-hmm. So when we hand her a weapon, it looks correct. Like it, yeah. it's, she's lean, she's short, like she's much more of what their archetype would be. And so if I try to speak about ergonomics, well, you hand me like a 12 pound rifle that's, you know, 50 something inches long and it's really not that big of a challenge, mm-hmm. but for her, you know, she's playing strong, yeah. but there's just some handling stuff. And there's the way the weight pitches forward or back, it really affects her more than it does me. And so she gives a pretty good review of, you know, how things feel. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So um, for people who don't know who you are, just kind of elaborate sort of what you do in the gun industry. So we have a history series that runs every other week, and we have gone for the long format documentary style. A good way to think about it is a lot of people are familiar with something like Forgotten Weapons, and Ian has a, a process where he goes out and he does sort of a shallow look at a bunch of really weird stuff, mm-hmm. and he does it in like 10 to 15 minute blocks. And that's a show that's very comfortable with not knowing everything about a gun because you can't like the, either it's prototype or the kind of research it would take to get into it takes weeks. Mm -hmm. Well, we're sort of like the opposite. So when I entered into it, I realized that there is this big gap between superficial knowledge online and then these very expensive $300 highly collectible books because uh, everybody talks about, you know, all information being digitized, but realistically a lot of information in historical firearms is not being digitized hardly at all and so we sort of became that process by taking a lot of research material and sort of comparing it and stacking it and then coming out with an episode that really covers one firearm be it uh, rare or be it common we just cover it all the way through as deeply as we can uh short of getting into graphs and charts and then we do that. And if you need anything further than that, then I can't help you. You're going to need that expensive book. <laughs> wow. You know, funny story about uh, Ian from Forgotten Weapons. I reached out to him and asked him if he wanted to be on the show. And he's like, well, I don't want to talk about politics and I don't want to talk about new guns. And I'm like, yeah, we don't really cover that here. And the reason why I want to have you on the show is to talk about old guns. And he never responded. <laughs> yeah. Ian has a uh, a much higher demand. It's kind of interesting. So, uh, Forgotten Weapons was, and this gets into the YouTube issue, but, mm-hmm. uh, Forgotten Weapons launched sooner than we did, obviously. It was very casual. It was just an easy thing for him to do. And then he's always kept it as a curation of lots of littler things. And so he goes on a trip and he gathers like 15, 20 videos when he does a trip. Uh, when I go on a trip, I might get two or three if I'm really lucky, but usually it's one Mm -hmm. because I have to do this huge coverage. And also when I go somewhere, I'm looking for something specific because we've been doing World War One. So I work from a fixed list. I have to know what I'm doing months ahead of time. Uh, Ian can kind of show up and be like, what the heck is this? And film a video and he's covered. Yeah. And so what that's done though is he has, you know, 30 videos for every one video we have. He's sort of talked about every family of firearms. And so it's made him infinitely more searchable. And also, since he doesn't shoot things in every video, he's uh, safer to show on YouTube, so he gets a lot more 
shows and he's been there longer. So he gets a lot more shows. Mm-hmm. Um, and what it's done is it's put him at the top of that sort of historical firearms market. He's probably the most recognized guy in historical firearms. And so the interesting thing is how much people will only talk to the number one most visible person in a field. And so his inbox is slammed compared to mine. I mean, I get a ton of emails and mostly from individuals who are looking to know more about their particular firearm because mm-hmm. I talk about common guns. And yeah. so, but uh, for him, he gets slammed from people that just want to talk about the gun industry. Hmm. And he's probably been avoiding it because museums are hypersensitive to politics and he has to go work with museums just like I do. And so we tend to avoid like CN Arsenal has no political opinions on the show itself. Now I will go out personally and talk about things. Cause I, you know, I've been over with like this week in guns and we like shooting and stuff like that. And I'll talk about politics fine, but I have to tell people this is, this is mine personally and it has nothing to do with the show. Mm-hmm. Got it. So how did you get started in this? Like doing all um, this? I honestly was just a collector. Like I had gotten into old guns sometime right after college. And then as I was collecting, I realized that uh, the material available was not particularly helpful or detailed. Like they would tell you, you'd read magazine articles. It was just sort of the same loose information over and over and over again. And there was no real meat on it. And then half the times it was contradictory anyway. So you realize that the quality control and the information was really poor. And people were just sort of consuming it as entertainment. They weren't consuming it as, you know, well, it was being produced as entertainment, but it was being consumed as if it was factual. And it was creating a lot of what we sort of lovingly call FUD lore. And so I started taking my own notes and doing my own photography and writing little articles. And it kind of got popular. So I realized if I wanted to do more of that, I'd have to do a video series because that's where everything was trending. So I, I designed a video series from scratch and went to try that out. Uh, and it's kind of taken off. And how long have you had that channel? It's been about five years, I think. Okay. Nice. Uh, I, to have the channel though, I don't, well, mm, probably four or five years of actual production. We're in the hundreds. We release every other week. And we're on episode like 111, so you can rough math that. Yeah, well, I mean, you can, because I suck at math. It's more like four years of actual video content. Huh, that's it's hard. Cool. There's a lot of gear up. Like, the, there's a several false, false starts, and then finally got it up and running. Mm-hmm. Well, I was looking at your video, and it's like very detailed. And, uh, I mean, it makes my videos look like crap. And even my videos that are crappy, I still spend, you know, let's say a day at the range, uh, it takes a few hours just to edit even like a five minute video. So I can only imagine how much work. And then on top of that, the research and stuff. So like, what would you say you on average, like spend how much time per video? Oh, we figured this out at some point, but the average video should have something like 250 man hours in it or Dang. so. So we have myself full time. We've, uh, in order to keep up because I was actually, uh, to the, we got to the point where I would pick one night a week to not sleep. And that's how we were producing the show in time. Wow. And we finally got enough funding through Patreon and everything else to bring May on full time. Although May and I are sort of more on a ramen diet at the moment. But <laughs> right. Just, just, just enough to eke her out of normal work and into doing this. Yeah. So that I, I, I was actually, I ended up with like hard palpitations because I just wasn't sleeping and I was just working all the time. The, we, we finally got her over full time, uh, 
uh, we have a full-time animal, full-time, he works part-time, but he does all of our animations for us, which freed up a lot of hours for me. And then that the three of us sort of form the core of what's going on. And then we have additional helpers here and there for like ammunition and things like that, that have really helped cut down on time for specific episodes. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's, inc- that's crazy though. The amount of hours, like here I thought, I was bad and I'm like, okay, eventually I'm just going to get, you know, a little bit more efficient and know exactly what I'm doing. And, uh, and then I get stuck on, you know, I'll spend like a few hours editing videos and then all just to produce like a five minute video. And I'm like, man, (laughs) that's why I'm like, people have no idea. It can can go insane. We had, um, well, on a more normal level, uh, I try to find period images of things. And so it's, you can't know how many hours it will take you to find a photo of something that there are no photos of mm-hmm. like, so I have a bunch of archives that I crawl. I now have like a discord going where some of the guys have been helping me crawl them. And so I have thousands and thousands of hours in this archival searching of images manually. And I've turned up a lot of neat photos that way, but I just sort of have to do it. I have to set aside like a couple hours a week and just do that. And then just label things as I find them and dump them into a folder so that later on I can take the, I can reap the benefit of that. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to know when or what's going to turn up. And so it's, it's really wild. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I can imagine. What's the most interesting firearm that you've (laughs) produced a video on? Uh, To me, the most interesting firearm we've covered is probably the Pedersen device, which was supposed to be released in 1919 Thankfully, the war ended, and it was not because it would have been a disaster. But uh, it was a semi-automatic conversion for the Springfield 1903 that took a .30-06 bolt-action rifle and turned it into a 32 acp esque It's 32 Pedersen. Wow. It turns it into a pistol-caliber semi-automatic submachine rifle. I don't know what to call it, really, because we don't end up with something like that. I mean, it's it's kind of like... It's like taking a, a Springfield 1903 bolt action and turning it into a slightly more powerful 32 ACP Caltech carbine. Like it just, just this weird idea of having mobile limited firepower at an infantry level. And that thing is a design nightmare. Like I'm amazed that they managed to make it work at all. Mm-hmm. but there's just no way it was going to work under warfare conditions. And yet that's what they were heading for. And then when the war ended, they kind of went, Oop, we dodged that bullet because it turns out in, you know, immediate post-war testing, just from transporting these things, like 80% of them are non-functional. Wow. So, I mean, they, that whole program got nuked and quietly like sealed away and no one was supposed to know that it ever happened because people would have been fired. <laughs> like it was, it was buried and it became like a secret weapon that was only really known about decades later. And are these fire, like, do you, do these firearms still exist? Yeah, we actually managed to get a hold of one of those, although that was a whole other nightmare. We were supposed to film it remotely. It wasn't working. So the owner actually weirdly just sent it home with us, which was amazing. Thank you. And then when we got home, we realized some of the parts had been replaced by someone in the past who was trying to, like fix it, but mm-hmm. they didn't understand what they were getting into. And so we had to go back and sort of contact Springfield uh, National Historic Site, the old armory, and they had one on hand that they were willing to dimension for us. So thank yeah. you to the curator there. And 
basically he managed to get me photos and dimensions on the parts and we were able to recreate those parts and get it back into the field wow. it still ran pretty poorly but it ran within what was understood to be how poorly they ran mm-hmm. so dang that's incredible so my dad because he has a military museum he has a I don't know if you get into like any of the guns that were used. Um, well, I guess you would during like the Nazi era. Yeah, we have, um, I used to have a more of a World War II focus, but when we did the series, we partnered with the Great War at first. Uh-huh. So that's why we stuck to World War One to run okay. parallel to them. Gotcha. And then it's sort of taken on its life its own. So we haven't done any World War II videos yet, but I'm still very aware of them. Okay. So he has like a belt buckle and apparently there was only a hundred of them made. And it's a belt buckle, but there's actually a gun in there. It'll fire like three rounds. <laughs> so it's kind of crazy. I for, I don't remember what it's called, but, you know, he has one. And, and I think the serial number is like number two or something on it. It's something crazy like that. So, all right. So I'm going to take a break real quick. Talk about SB Tactical. Uh, so I was on their website and I saw that... They are now shipping the TAC-13-SBA3. So essentially, it's just the SBA3 brace, but this one is made for the Remington TAC-13. And the cost for that is $269.99. But if you use that code GUNFUNNY15, you will get 15% off. And that is at sb-tactical.com. All right. So, Athias, how would you say that the military arms design changed from like the beginning to the end of World War One? Well, the interesting thing is a lot of people don't understand about World War One is very few things were invented or developed in that period. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have the French sort of, most armies reemphasize the light machine gun. Uh, that was a big thing that happened there going into the war. Barely anybody put any credit on light machine guns whatsoever. I mean, a handful of individuals, not even a single army. Uh, there were maybe two armies that even understood the importance of heavy machine guns. And so uh, the light machine gun as a means for breaking up defenses became super important. And then right at the very tail end, the submachine gun appears. And that's used for like infantry level uh, infiltration and trench breaking and actually even forward line defense. So the big thing in firearm circles for World War One is going to be light automatics. And especially for Germany, they had a system in which they wanted to split the difference between a heavy machine gun and a very light machine gun, like a machine rifle. Mm-hmm. And they went with uh, a hybridized and very kind of kludged uh, thing called a uh, MG0815. And this was still water-cooled. It was still 30-some-odd pounds. And yet, it was man-portable. It had a shoulder stock and a pistol grip. Wow. Uh, and, and what they did is, since it was so heavy, they couldn't really use it like other people were using automatic rifles on a two-man basis. It had to have this, like, six-man team at a minimum. And so, you know, you had these little squads of men that would handle the machine gun moving around. And then they'd be supported, they, they would sort of self-support with rifles. So, like, if you weren't doing anything for the machine gun at the moment, you would have a rifle and you would use it. And so what they found at that time is that they could organize their infantry tactics around the machine gun. So it used to be they would run infantry and support them with the machine gun. 
Now they're running the machine gun and supporting it with infantry. And that became a huge factor for how Germany fought in World War II because they became obsessed with a universal machine gun and organizing their infantry around that machine gun. Whereas the U.S. went the automatic rifle route and then struggled all the way through World War II to come up with uh, light machine gun tactics because we stuck with the BAR. And that's a whole thing that people know that that was sort of the, the best of the worst of U.S. arms design, which is like it did its original intended job very well, but the tactics never really caught up to what Germany was doing at that period. The French actually did the same as Germany. They started just making stamped steel light machine guns and then organizing their soldiers around those light machine guns. And that proved to be extremely powerful, especially when you work with like combined arms tactics. So rifle grenades, uh, coordinated artillery, that sort of stuff, it all really comes to a head in World War One, And then a lot of the basis for modern, what truly modern warfare was found in the struggles of World War One because that was, you know, the first half of that war was defensive tactics had exceeded offensive tactics. And that's why you end up with this massive front and no real way to break it up. Hmm, interesting. So yeah. would you say out of all the countries that Germany was kind of ahead of everyone with their designs? Um, not in terms of design, interestingly, but in terms of tactics, which proved to be much more important. Okay. Um, design wise, uh, they tended to over engineer a little bit. Uh, although when they did come out with their submachine gun, uh, the MP18, which was only available at the very end of the war, that thing had every earmark of what would be the Stanner Sterling later on. Like the submachine gun is such a simple concept that if you build the first one to be extremely simple, then it's going to match the last ones, which were extremely simple. It's not until you get past World War II that people try to start making like extremely complicated submachine guns. Hmm. Although that does exclude the American Thompson. The American Thompson was over-engineered from the start. Interesting. So kind of getting off topic, who would you say typically watches your videos? Do you think that younger people aren't as interested in history? Is it more, you know, just the older people? Well, actually, I think we tend to be a gateway. Um, it, it's, I have had a complete mix of people approach me. When the, fo- when the show first started, it was almost exclusively younger people because these past few years, YouTube has finally kind of gone mainstream with older audiences. Mm-hmm. We did pick up a large older audience. Uh, so I'd say our average age is probably in their 30s because, and I'm saying that because it's actually the average of all our viewers that are down to their teens and all our viewers that are into their 60s and 70s. So I think we've managed to hit this mark where we're just sort of uniquely popular. Uh, the only real exclusion is that it's, it's almost entirely male. I don't think a lot of women are sitting down to watch hour and a half long documentaries. However, uh, since May is our designated Marks women, I've heard from a lot of like girlfriends and wives that have said because May approached it so matter of factly and didn't sort of try to uh, oversell her gender or her sexuality or anything like that. She mm. just shoots the guns and talks about the guns. Something about that formula has struck a chord with a significant percentage of a female audience who feel... Like, well, if May can go out there and just handle these things, so can I. It's more about how you shoot than what you shoot. Mm-hmm. And it's changed a lot of perspectives, apparently, because I still get those emails about once a week where someone's like, you know, I was really only shooting 22. 
And then I saw what May was doing. And I was like, you know, I, I can slog through this. And it, it looks, you know, she's not getting beat up or bruised. She's just getting a little tired. So I'm going to try it out. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are pretty happy about that. Yeah, definitely. I think that that stuff is so important. And that's kind of why I'm like so against sort of the whole gum bunny thing in the industry. Just because I just think that it turns a lot of women off from getting involved in the industry. And it's just like, eh. But if you're just a regular person and they see that you can do it, then... You know, it, it seems more appealing to them, but don't feel bad because I think on my YouTube, I think only 10% is female, which is actually pretty high for the firearms industry. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just one of those things like it's, it, we're covering guns. Uh, yes. But then the other thing is we're doing these huge documentaries. And yeah. I think it's been proven time and time again that for the most part, this is not exclusive, but men tend to be the ones that are much more obsessive about their hobbies where they get into this like, well, I've, I've got to take it apart and I've got to disassemble. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I know a lot of women that just don't enjoy over massaging what they are interested in. Like yeah. they feel like it ruins it for them to get like that far down the rabbit hole in one thing. Yeah. I think you're right. Well, your show definitely sounds interesting and I, I mean, I'm definitely, I'm interested in history so I think I'm going to check out your YouTube channel, which again, going into this, it not like I didn't watch your, your uh, channel just because, I mean, if I watched everyone's channel out there, I, I would not have any time to like do my own work. Like even podcasts, I don't even listen to anybody's podcast. I don't even know if Kenny's doing his job, honestly, because I don't even listen to the show when it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> so Kenny, don't, don't pay attention to that. You better be doing your job well. So I just, uh, for viewers who do want to check you out, where can they find you? So we're over on YouTube, although we never did get our channel brand. Like, so you have to just Google around for us, but it's C and Arsenal. So like Charlie and Romeo Sunil, uh, which is a play on Curio and Relic. Um, and it's impossible to spell, but the good news is like, let's say you go to, you go to YouTube or something like that and you search for like Pedersen device or, you know, uh, Gewehr 98 or Springfield 1903. Um, one of those top videos should show like a white background, nice and crisp photography, you know, thumbnail of a historical weapon. That's when you know you've got us. Like, I don't think anybody else has really got these really crisp backgrounds like we do in their thumbnails and they stand out. So you'll get led to us if you start Googling around for that World War One stuff. Okay. And then do you guys have a website? Yeah, it's cnarsenal.com, although it's spelled out phonetically. So C a n d arsenal.com okay and i'm assuming that your youtube channel is there's a link on there as well yep all the videos are hosted over there and then while you're there we also have we host the anvil gunsmithing videos because we only release every other week and anvil gunsmithing only releases every other week so we've sort of combined to make sure that we have one stable youtube channel (laughs) nice very nice all right cool so do you have time to hang out for the rest of the show sure awesome All right, so before we get into it, we are going to talk about Sportsman's Guide. So Sportsman's Guide, they actually have like a huge military surplus sale going on right now, up to 40% off. So if you're into that kind of stuff, you know, definitely check it out. Otherwise, they have pretty much anything and everything. It's kind of like the Amazon for the gun world or outdoor world. Check them out at sportsmansguide.com. If you see something you like, use the code GUNFUNNY20 and that gets you $20 off $100 or more. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as... Never mind. 
A-S. So, Othias, unless you've been living under a rock, I'm sure you've heard of everything going on within the gun industry with this guy, Alex, known as Whiskey Warrior 556 on Instagram, and how he asked for help because cops, you know, showed up at his house because of a, a red flag uh, law. And, I mean, have you heard of it? Yeah, I'm, uh, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I'm a horrible, horrible snoop about these sort of things. Uh-huh. And because I'm the old gun guy and there's always that one guy in every organization that loves the old guns, I, uh, I tend to have a contact with whoever, wherever. Mm-hmm. So I very quietly tend to know a little bit more than the average Joe on some of this stuff just because of my own nature of poking and asking and then keeping my mouth shut long enough to not get in trouble for knowing anything. Hmm. Um, so when this came out, I immediately started poking around because uh, I think Eric over at Ivy 88 was the hmm. one that sort of broke it for Instagram, if I'm correct. Like that was the sort of where it got the biggest I don't fire know. that I saw. I don't know if it was him because the military arms channel, Mr. Guns and Gear, um, yeah, true, everyone. Those, those three tend to be the, the kind of squad too. Yeah, I agree. Um, but, so, you know, just talking to those guys and then honestly, the firearms policy coalition got involved uh-huh. and I, I was talking to those guys a little bit about it and, uh, it's, it's a mess right now. Presently, it's looking like it probably was an existing actual warrant. And so like signed by a judge warrant, but the problem is how much do you trust reporting? Mm-hmm. Um, when I saw this was the topic, I kind of tried to go run it down real quick and I haven't had time to say anything text messages or anything but the uh the situation is tricky people are obviously upset on both sides for all sorts of reasons people are fighting each other over it mm-hmm. um i think this is one of the situations where as much as we might want to talk about did did he do this did he do that the bigger thing is that as a community we're going to have to be okay with gray area mm-hmm. and we're going to have to be okay with instead of rushing to necessarily arms because some people were you should kind of rush to being a witness. Like we're, we're definitely a, a group in the gun owning community that needs to be willing to prairie dog to sort of stick our heads up and, and really pay attention to what's going on when someone makes a sound. Mm-hmm. And then we need just enough patience to get ready to help someone and not actually go running to help them until we know what is happening. Yeah. Um, Which is really easy, like easier said than done when everything's <clears throat> happening so quickly. Cause, <clears throat> um, I mean, so, so for people who haven't heard, uh, this happened in Putnam, New York, and this guy, Alex Booth, he put on his Instagram story that the cops were surrounding his house. He barricaded himself in his house. He was drinking whiskey. He definitely seemed inebriated, which doesn't really help his case. And that's why, like, as I was watching the story, I'm like, all right. Like, we're just going to take this guy's word for it when he doesn't seem like he's, I mean, how do you know he's just not like, I don't know. I don't want to say he's like mentally ill because that's what, you know, the the media is trying to paint him as. But him drinking obviously didn't help the situation or help to, you know, kind of bring solid evidence to the whole thing. Well, I, th- I think when you ask people to rally on your behalf, you are a de facto leader at that moment. Like you're asking to have leadership. Mm-hmm. And so regardless of how this turns out or what the actual direction is, the one thing I can say clearly, no matter what it turns out to be, whether he's completely guilty or completely innocent of X, Y, and Z. Uh, if you are going to make this sort of call out, please don't drink and speak in memes. Yeah. Like clearly state what is happening, the background of it, 
and ask for people to observe or to, you know, whatever it is that you need, you need to spell it out and ask for it clearly. And if someone's not doing that going forward, now that we've had this sort of, you know, warning shot, uh, maybe don't jump on it. Like wait for someone to give you a clear statement of what's going on. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, I know the next day. So I, um, I talked to Colian Noir cause he also posted it, but he just kind of posted, you know, what he'd been hearing. And then I also talked to Mr. Guns and Gear. So I, I texted them both and I'm just like, in fact, let me see if I could find the text message that I sent both of them. Cause the next morning I'm just like, all right, are we really just going to sit back and just like assume that this guy was telling the truth when we don't really have any factual evidence? So, all right. So I texted them both the exact same text message and I said, aren't you a little skeptical of this or of this uh, whiskey warrior situation? Aside from the guy's Instagram story, which wasn't very credible, we don't have any factual evidence of what's going on. I'm not siding with police and I'm against red flag laws, but everyone's jumping to help this guy like a bunch of sheep. And people are acting on emotion, not thinking things through, which I think that, you know, a lot of people tend to do, but uh, a lot of people in the firearms industry, they just automatically jump. Like, I think, I don't know. I think this whole situation kind of makes me think that ultimately like the firearms industry, like we're going to end up just like killing each other. Like we are our own worst enemy. And it's sort of, sort of. I think what's happened is we've dealt with, well, I shouldn't say we, but there's a camp now that's emerging that has dealt with a lot of <sighs> stalling and negotiation, quote unquote, from the NRA that ultimately works against us. Mm-hmm. And so the honest truth is in the firearms industry, the constant use of the word compromise when it's not a compromise, the constant erosion of the rights has created a camp that does not believe that this problem can be solved legislatively. Mm-hmm. They don't believe that being a, uh, the, like you hear people say rhino Republican in name only. That's usually applied to anti-gun Republicans. Uh, you know, everybody votes for Trump and then he says, you know, we'll take them and worry about due process later. Like you get all these, everybody's promising you something for the second amendment. And then no matter who you vote for, how you vote or how often you vote, even when your guy gets in, the second amendment ends up being chipped at one more time. Mm-hmm. And I think there's just a camp of guys that are unwilling to deal with it anymore. And so they've gone to their minds, you know, they they want to roll back to the start and they just want to have a, an altercation about it, be it violent or be it just, you know, making a show of having a million men march up on something. But the problem uh, is, is it's against each other. So it's not like us against the government or us against police officers, which I actually was kind of, I mean, I get it, you know, everybody, you know, nobody like takes anything seriously anymore. Like, okay, the sheriff's department, they issued a statement and, you know, everyone's questioning that. And like right now, I think it's like, it's a really bad time to even be a police officer because of all of like the hate going on. And, and like, there's obviously bad people in every, uh, everywhere you go, but I mean, just like the amount of hate, like towards police officers, like there was a few, I guess, quote unquote, influencers on Instagram that just got like hounded just because they were like, hey, let's just wait for the evidence, blah, blah. And people were like, oh, my God, you're like anti, you know, you're you're in favor of the red flag law and blah, blah. And like they just, I mean, just like went off on him. And then people are debating with each other. And but like they're not even being like they're not even what am I trying to say? They're just. They're, I mean, they're, they're all just, 
they're 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 othering or vilifying everyone who disagrees with yeah. even one part of the plan. Which I mean, we're all in this like we're all in the industry together, so it's not. I think that that's just kind of uh, like this whole thing kind of upsets me. I do think that it's nice that so many people acted, you know, on this situation. There was a lot of people that apparently went there. They called the uh, Putnam uh, Sheriff's Department. They like blew up the phone lines, emails. So, I mean, it was kind of nice that everyone, you know, definitely did something about it. But um, when you when you want to think about a community like the kind of community that's trying to react to something like this, you have to imagine like a big slow dog that's tied to a fast small dog, like a puppy. Mm-hmm. And the puppy is going to be louder. It's going to be faster. It's going to be running in random almost directions. Like the puppy knows what it's looking at, uh, but the big dog doesn't even see it. The big dog's just sort of walking along. And something like this comes up and the puppy goes running. And that elastic style leash draws real tight because the big dog is, you know, it wants to see what's going on over there, but it's not about to start running for no reason. Mm-hmm. It's big and lazy. And so the puppy becomes frustrated because it's anchored because it can't drag both dogs into that fight. And the big dog is frustrated because it's being yanked around by this puppy by another seemingly random direction because it doesn't know what's motivating it. And I think that sort of elastic snapback where they both end up nipping at each other is what we're seeing now, which is that they're trying to, like, as a community, we're trying to figure out, was that a valid thing that got away or was that another leaf in the wind? Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's one of those weird things that's always going to happen. The trick is to make sure that you don't try burning each other when you're having this argument. Like, argue your case, but to, to actually vilify, to actually other, you know, other people in the community because they're not moving as fast as you want them to, I think maybe take a deep breath because you're going to erode your own support in the long run. Yeah, I agree with that. So I guess we'll see what happens. But as you said, you know, sometimes I think we have to be accepting of the fact that we may not get the entire story. There is a lot of gray areas. and Well, there's such a thing as being too slow and such a thing as being too fast. And then honestly, I people are really trying to stick it to them right now. But I like the Firearms Policy Coalition's response to all this. I don't know if you saw it. I did. But the, they came out pretty hot saying, we've set aside $5,000 and we have a fund available for you to donate to if you're passionate about this. If this ends up being a red flag case, if it becomes a red flag case, we stand by to help with legal action. That's it. That was their statement. And, so and then, well, getting... and then they also said if it doesn't, they will refund everybody if well, that's that what they out, wanted. That, that came out like the next morning. Okay. So the the initial they should have had that, but if it doesn't, should have been included in the first message. Don't get me wrong, but even in the first message, it was essentially like we are going to have we're going to stage ourselves and get ready for what might be a fight. And if it's not a fight, then. No, no harm, no foul. But, you know, so in other words, the Firearms Policy Coalition didn't say, hurry, let's all go over there and bang on their door. They said, we are trying to make contact. Please stand by. And if you would like to fundraise for legal defense in case it is needed, then you can do that here. And that that to me was good leadership. It gave people something productive to do, which was put funds aside. Mm-hmm. And it was them trying to get in there responsibly because what some of the people who said the big dog, the big dog problem here is that in some of these cases, the sooner you get in there with some show of force, the better the situation is if it turns out to be a legal battle over firearms rights. 
the the problem with that is so many other things can masquerade as that potential battle and it gets very hard for a organization like firearms policy coalition it's very hard for them to get in at the ground floor of one of these incidents and so they have to be sort of agile and yet cautious and so i like their response which was stand by we're going to see what we can do in the meantime let's build up funds this way and then if it turns out to be nothing we can either refund you or you can donate it or whatever you want to do that's a great way to handle this people are absolutely mad at them because the problem is they want everybody to have either picked team you know boogaloo or team you know bootlicker Mm -hmm. and there's nothing in between in their minds they can't understand having a loosely defined plan for an unknown circumstance. Yeah, I agree with that. Cause if you look at the comments, I mean, I've just been sort of observing and uh, I mean, there was people there were like, Oh, you just jumped on this opportunity so that you can get money. Like you're just like the NRA money hungry. And, and I mean, just the amount of comments, that's why I'm like, I honestly think like we are just, we're eating ourselves from within. Well, I'm going to tell you, if every time someone uh, send a, sent up a flare that they were being red flagged, uh, if every time that happened, a little defense fund got created and a big organization came in and said, we're going to look at this. It wouldn't be a bad and, thing. Yeah, it would not be a bad thing because it would slow down lawmakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and by the way, it, that organization, when they come in, they see a judge signed warrant for domestic abuse, if that's what this is. Well, they're going to walk they're gonna say yep nope this guy had a warrant out everything's fine here i mean it's the same as like an election watcher or something like that like it's just an organization saying we're gonna watch you every time you do this and every time it's constitutional we're you're not gonna hear a peep from us but we're watching Mm -hmm. i don't see that as a bad thing that's 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 like the aclu you know what i mean only for guns like that's that's fine yeah no i agree with that i just think that people could be a little bit nicer about it Oh, yeah, to each but other, yes. but I think you know, and I mean, even even like the amount of action that the firearms community took against like the Putnam Sheriff's Department. I mean, if anything, I think that it would make people rethink about sort of enforcing these red flag laws. Which you know, so I don't I don't see that as a bad thing either. So I don't know the whole thing. I guess we'll just see how the story unfolds. Obviously, this just happened two days ago, so you guys know that I pre-record the show. So when it comes out on Monday, um, maybe things have completely changed. That's true. But all right, moving on. So Sharps Bros. So they have their aluminum wood AR grip and M-lock handguard panels. And they're really pretty. They're made with Brazilian cherry wood. And uh, right now they're on sale for $120. And you can get them at sharpsbros.com. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. So this question's kind of funny because we were just talking about whiskey, whatever his name is. Uh, what was it? Yeah, five, five, whiskey warrior 556. Five, yeah. So somebody wants to know uh, whiskey or whiskey. So before, you know, that sounds crazy. So W-H-I-S-K-E-Y or W-H-I-S-K-Y. Without the E. And oh, I'm, in terms of spelling? Yeah. And I'm going to go with, so I know that the more common one is the E-Y ending, but the proper spelling, I think, is without the E. 
Uh, you know, I never get that deep into spelling, uh, because I'm just one of those horrible people that would say that language is just what we agree on. Like, it's just a negotiation of things that mean other things. So, Athias, I thought for sure you would be like, oh, yeah, no, it's definitely this, and this is derived from blah, 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 and... You know, I was I like, can, I was I expecting you. I, I can solve, I can solve the car being carbine, but I, I don't know that I can solve the whiskey issue. Because okay. A lot of, so a I, lot of spelling issues I just, I just Googled it and actually didn't know this, but it says the Scots spell it whiskey with just the Y and the mm-hmm. Irish spell it with, uh, the E Y. Oh, I'm sure. So, it, it, all it is is somebody had a handbook back in the day about how you're supposed to write down words. Cause remember literacy was very low. And so both people referred to different handbooks on spelling, and then it started going that way for probably 100 years. And then finally they came together and went, oh, wait, we're doing this different, and then got into a fight about it. Yeah, probably. Probably. Uh, do you drink whiskey? Uh, on occasion. I'm not actually the biggest drinker of alcohol, but that's because I don't have a lot of time for it. Oh, my gosh. I think that's the only thing that keeps me sane sometimes. I can't do it. If I if I lose focus, I start making mistakes. Oh, that makes sense. I'm not a big whiskey drinker, though. Like, I, I actually want to get into whiskey because I know it's kind of like, you know, like I'm really into wine. I have quite a bit of knowledge, especially living in New York City. Like, I love red wine. But, and they say that, like, whiskey is very similar. Like, it has different notes and stuff. But I just, I can't just drink it straight. It's still, yeah, it just, it feels like it puts, like, hair on my chest. Don't let them bully you too because they'll do that gatekeepy sort of chest bumpy thing about it i know other than alcohol if you said i don't like sour things nobody's gonna sit there and be like well you're not a connoisseur if you don't like sour things right and it's just it's just a flavor profile a family of flavors that you don't enjoy don't worry about it so much like kind of the same thing with cigars a lot of people are into like drinking whiskey, smoking a cigar. I hate anything that's like smoke, like cigarettes. I could never date a smoker. Um, and then even cigars, I don't like to be around it just do because you know, like the smoke gets on my hair and my clothes and it's just disgusting. Do you know, uh, Roy over at yes, uh, I knew he who, has, yeah. So he has, the hook, he has the hook up on a pipe tobacco that will solve that problem for you. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought you were going to be like, yeah, Ryan Rep, who, you know, just, because he always, every time I talk to him, what are you doing? Oh, smoking a cigar. Or he calls it a stogie. Oh, yeah. Brownells has to, they, they have, they bring their own cigars, like wrapped in Brownells logos. It's great. But oh. see, I'm a, I'm, May and I are both pipe smokers. So we get along on that dimension with like Roy and them. So, so Roy, so what's so, what's so different about he, the tobacco? He gave me a can, he gave me a sample of, uh, some rare blend now, and I honestly wish I knew the name because I could recommend it to everybody. But it was, uh, it was, I believe it was like partially, honestly, partially fermented or something, but basically low, low smoke smell, low impact on the throat. Like it wasn't causing any of that coughing or anything. Uh, it was deceptively dangerous to smoke because it was so smooth. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I don't think I want to take up smoking, but that's good to know in case, you know, I ever do, or if anybody out there wants to get into smoking, but I don't recommend it. Although, obviously, smoking cigars and stuff, you don't inhale it, but I don't know. I still think that maybe it's kind of bad for your health, but who knows. All right. So what's not bad for your health is a polymer 80. So they almost have their new frames ready, uh, which is, I for, I don't know what the model name is, but it's compatible with all of the SIG P320 parts. So essentially, it's a SIG P320, but obviously an 80%. And 
I mean, I don't know if you've seen this shift, but a lot of people, you know, Glock used to be like the gun for all the aftermarket parts and stuff. But ever since like military and law enforcement picked up SIG, the SIG P320 as their like duty gun, now everybody's kind of leaning towards like making parts and stuff for the P320. So kind of cool. So yeah, I think they should be coming out. I don't know. I'm kind of curious if they release it at SHOT Show or something, but I know that they're they're definitely making strides. And I did see it at the event that I went to a few weeks ago at the Big Daddy Unlimited shoot. So um so it should be here soon. But we'll see. Don't don't quote me on it, but it definitely looks pretty cool. Tactic Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it, hate it. Find out now. Othias, you wanted to talk about luminous night sights. Yeah, so this is something that goes back to World War One specifically. There were some experiments before, but uh, I thought it would be kind of fun to talk about like a historical accessory. Mm-hmm. So I know this is a podcast, but I sent you an image. Mm-hmm. And what it is is some clip-on stamped steel sights. They're just stamped out and folded. And they go over the rear sight for a 1911 and the front sight for a 1911. And what you can imagine is it forms a piece of bent-up metal that has two little rectangular pockets at the rear and one rectangular pocket at the front. And then inside of those, they would paint in like a generous helping of like radium paint. And so they would just glow softly at night. And this is something that was not necessarily fielded in the pistol configuration, but the rifle versions did get out there for testing on both sides. And it was this notion of we need to be able to see and fight at night, which was a very new concept to try to sort of use your firearms effectively in the dark. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of that experimentation in World War One. I. I don't know. Did you manage to see that image? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. And that's interesting. I didn't I didn't realize that that's what they did was fill it with that, like that paint stuff. Yeah, radium paint. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's still um you know, like watch faces and stuff like that. There was uh that was used all the way through World War Two and beyond. And they actually ended up the the women who ended up doing that painting unfortunately ended up with jaw cancer because they would lick their brushes. Oh um, wow. Yeah. So whoops, maybe maybe not exactly the safest material to be making things out of. But I think it it, it kind of talks back to something that people deal with nowadays though, because that's that's something that we see in the gun industry a lot on a personal ownership basis which is uh, an interest in fighting at night because people realize that break-ins happen at night. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're very likely to deal with an attacker in an environment where they don't have the benefit of seeing everything. And so we see, you know, uh, rail mounts appearing on handguns almost. It's like, think about it like 1980, 1990. You're not going to see, you know, rail mounts for flashlights you're not even going to see flashlights as an option at all on most handguns Mm -hmm. and now i mean every full size has some ability to mount a flashlight Mm -hmm. so there's definitely been a lot of people thinking about night fighting and yet here we are looking at a photo of something from 1917 1918 in which they're trying to get glow in the dark sights on a 1911 because they're having to worry about night fighting Mm -hmm. yeah i know that's crazy it's weird how things come full circle yeah I know. And it's just, it's crazy how they were able to, I mean, so obviously it wasn't like so advanced, but in a way it really was like, they were really clever on how they designed all this stuff and even well, so how, the, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, the interesting thing is you're saying like, it's, it's might, might, might not be as good other than the fact that they're clip on, which yeah. is kind of 
So that's what I was going to bring up. That's like weird because I feel like the minute you start shooting, they would fall off. Oh, I guarantee you that's a strong spring. I actually wouldn't mind making a reproduction set of those to try out because they they, they look impressive. It and just it looks like it's like a ones. it looks like it's like a piece of metal, almost like kind of like belt fed, you know, ammo. Yeah, like sort of that same kind of material, like the metal, and then it would just mm-hmm. kind of I don't know how to describe it. I'm obviously, I'm having one of those days today. But I don't know. You can. Do you have a? Do you guys host a website? You can probably throw that image on your website if you want to for people to check out if they get curious. I'll put but, it. So when the show comes out on Monday, I will put it on my Instagram. Nice. On the Gun Funny Instagram, that way people can see because it's definitely really cool. Yeah, I mean they're they're unique. So the interesting thing is, in a lot of ways, those probably work better than a lot of luminous night sites that we have now. Mm-hmm. Um. Because radium's really good at its job. I don't know. You've probably never handled it because it's Mm-mm. really rare to see it still. Because it has eventually it does decay. But uh, I have a watch that I had restored, and one of the local shops that I shouldn't name actually still had some uh, sealed radium paint available, and they actually did the radium painting very carefully. Wow. Um, which is probably not allowed anymore, but it happened. And so I had fresh radium paint on a watch face. And uh, so if your wrist gets cancer, that's now we know why. Well, sealed inside the actual <laughs> no, watch, it's, it's harmless. The problem is the person having to paint the damn thing. Yeah. So, but it, I mean, it works fantastically because it's not like rechargeable glow in the dark. It just glows and it glows mm-hmm. at a very nice light level. And it's funny because we watch manufacturers try to replicate the qualities of radium without using radium. And it's, it's really difficult because mm-hmm. if you think about it, anything that glows that well is going to be radioactive. <laughs> so yeah, like, exactly. So you have to do all these sort of recharging systems or battery operated systems or whatever. And it's taken a hundred years to sort of come around to being able to get close to what they already had back then. Hmm. Definitely interesting. Well, thank you for bringing that up. Cause I think this is the first time we've ever talked about like an old, anything that's like a old piece of gear. Everything else is typically new. So definitely interesting. Thank you for sharing that. And I will post the picture on the on uh, Gun Funny podcast Instagram Monday when the show comes out. All right. So now time for iTunes reviews. All right. So we only have one iTunes review. That's it. After that, there's no more reviews. So guys, I don't know what's going on. There was a nice steady flow and, you know, typically I could see if it was like slow during the summer, but it shouldn't be slow around this time. It's cold outside. What are you guys doing? You're listening to podcasts. So don't be lazy. Jump on to iTunes or even Facebook, uh, Gun Funny, you know, Facebook page, write a review. And so today's review is from J35, five stars, awesome podcast, started listening to the show over a year ago. And since then I've went back and listened to every episode. To me, it was very refreshing and different than just listening to old guys griping. This podcast even helped me introduce the firearm culture to my wife. She felt more comfortable knowing there are women out there who take pride in being gun owners. Not only that, but was amazed at how you constantly seek training and knowledge. So needless to say, you've helped light a fire in her, and we want to thank you. Thank you, Ava. Keep up the fantastic work. Aw, that was sweet. All right, well, you contact me, and I am going to send you out some gun funny, uh, a patch and like the new White Claw sticker. And uh, now we're going to wrap up. So you guys can find me on gunfunny.com. 
if you want to like me on social media, you know, there's links to Facebook, Instagram. Um, and then if you enjoy the show and you want to support it, consider becoming a patron. You can become a patron just for like $1 a month. That gets you access to our Facebook page, uh, the Facebook group. We're actually doing like a secret Santa within the group. And, uh, if you guys become a patron within this week, it's not too late to sign up for that secret Santa. But that's always kind of a good time. We did it last year and it was a lot of fun. And then Blown Deadline, he is giving away a $300 gift certificate every month to a lucky Patreon. And uh, so that's always cool. And I just wanted to thank the editor and producer, Kenny Ortega. And I also wanted to thank the $25 Patreons who are Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran 8888, Ryan Morrison, Elliot and Mike Pappas, Joe Lyons and Charger Arms. And King of the Patreon is still Jon Snow. He wants me to say that Operator Tickles uses a nightlight, not because she's afraid of the dark, but the dark is afraid of Operator Tickles. And I'm still giving away a tag pack. So just go to gunfunny.com forward slash TP. Put your name, your email address towards the beginning of every month. I'm going to draw a lucky winner to win a box. Otherwise, head on over to tackpack.com, use the code GUNFUNNY, and you will get a free mystery grab bag of tactical gear with your first box. And Othias, thank you so much for joining me today. Definitely keep up the good work. I think it's, you know, history is definitely important and it's really important to preserve and, you know, kind of even because I, I, I personally think that a lot of people just don't care about history as much as they used to, but you know, that's just my opinion, but just remind listeners once again, where they can find you. Yeah, it's over at C and Arsenal. So Charlie and Romeo Sennel, <laughs> or just Google up your favorite World War One firearms and look for a video. Cause I'm sure it'll lead you to us. Yeah. Thanks for hosting. Uh, I appreciate it. I'm glad you're out here doing what you do. No, oh, thank you. All right. We are out of here. <laughs> Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact. <laughs>